what policy does is it paves the way for industries to thrive. So battery manufacturing, uh, mining of these various minerals, uh, production of electric vehicles, all of these industries that sit within the value chain of the various things that you and I ultimately consume, whether it's vehicles, whether it's mobile phones, which have nickel-based uh, uh, batteries as well. All of these industries are supported and they enter an environment where policy is paving the way for them to grow. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to IBKR Traders Insight Radio podcast. I'm Stephen Levine, Senior Market Analyst at Interactive Brokers and your host for today's program. We're Mobin Tahir, Director of Macroeconomics, Research and Tactical Solutions at Wisdom Tree Europe, joins us again to talk about catalysts that have been driving prices for certain commodities. Our focus today is on nickel, another critical commodity for use in the ongoing energy transition. Mobin was last in our program where we had a very insightful discussion about copper. So, Nickel seems to be the next logical step in the transitions metal block. It's a neighbor to copper on the periodic table. It's also a vital element for use in electric vehicle production, namely batteries, but also critical for clean energy production, such as wind and solar, as well as carbon capture and storage. Very happy you've made the time to join us again, Mobin. Thanks for coming. Stephen, a pleasure as always to join you again. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we recently had this great discussion about copper and its role and outlook in the energy transition, but you know, copper alone can't drive that move, right? I mean, other commodities are also needed, uh, nickel being one of them, and nickel futures seem to have been facing quite a bit of volatility lately. Uh, not only has the Russia-Ukraine war called into question the viability of supply that may be needed to meet the timeline and goals of the global energy transition, uh, Russia... I understand, has a high concentration of the world's production and reserves for nickel. Uh, but we've also seen certain trading activities spur a rather significant spike in the price of nickel futures. And I think we can talk about that a bit later. But I'd like to first start off with your insights about supply issues. And, and there are obviously lots of questions here. But let's begin with sanctions on Russian exports. Uh, I guess, for one, how much nickel is needed to fulfill the demand for, say, electric vehicle battery production over the short term, say the next two to three years? And and what can suppliers of nickel expect to experience from any constraints from these sanctions? Sure. Uh, thanks, Stephen. It's a great place to start, certainly. Uh, so if we think about how much the world has actually demanded in nickel uh, in the last year or so, so the estimates were that the world demand for nickel in 2021 was around 2.8 million tons. Now, this number has broadly doubled in the last 10 years or so. Having said that, batteries currently only account for around 6 to 7% of total nickel demand, but they happen to be the most exciting area of growth, which is why a lot of focus tends to go there when we talk about nickel, certainly. Now, you mentioned electric vehicles and, and their relevance with the nickel story. Of course, uh, the world sold 6.7 million electric vehicles in 2021, up from 3.2 million in 2020. So we're on a, in an exponential uh, trajectory uh, over there, certainly. 
There are, however, two things to remember when it comes to metals, and those two things are as follows. Number one, it's very difficult to substitute one metal for another because clearly they have unique physical properties. And two, it's very difficult to replace one source of supply with another as well. Uh, and putting all of that together, what we're seeing is an exponential demand trajectory for nickel. And of course, any supply disruption, as you touched on in your question, any supply disruption that happens in the face of those demand projections is naturally going to pose challenges. Yeah, I can I can imagine. So let's say that trade with Russia becomes trade with another country or other companies in other countries for the supply of nickel that we would have otherwise got from Russia. So how does how does the shape of U.S. trade then? Does it change? Does it significantly change? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question and an evolving question. Certainly, if we think about how much capital expenditure has actually gone into nickel mining in the last 15 years or so. The number comes to around 85 billion US dollars. Now, if the world is to meet its sustainable climate change goals and limit temperature increases to two degrees Celsius above pre-industrialized levels as agreed in the Paris Agreement, the capital expenditure in the mining sector needs to almost double and go up to 150 billion US dollars in the next 15 years compared to the previous 15 years. So the question is, where does this come from? And this goes to your question about how does the US manage its trading relationships? But ultimately, the question will be, where is the nickel actually coming from? Yeah. Uh, so Indonesia, of course, is one of the largest producers of nickel. It also happens to be the country which has the highest number of reserves. But behind Indonesia, we have Australia. Australia is the second largest uh, in terms of reserves, but it's a bit behind in the league tables as far as uh, production is concerned. So that raises the question that is it going to be those countries that have more reserves that may uh, start mining more as they start to see that there's mm. more demand and potentially disruption from certain regions. But it's a difficult question to answer, and uh, it's it's an evolving conversation, certainly. So this is this is very interesting because I know that a lot of corporations, especially the auto sector, has been relying on nickel to produce their electric vehicles, the, the batteries for the electric vehicles, the electric vehicle production. They've had strategies to ramp up to meet the demand that you've outlined uh, from 3.2 to 6.7 million uh, in, in new uh, electric vehicle sales. Uh, so in your view, has the outlook changed for costs on EVs? I mean, are these going higher in your view? Uh, I mean, I suppose we need to factor in, you know, higher energy costs uh, for transport and, and other manufacturing concerns. Also, problematic supply of, of uh, semiconductors has, has been in place also. So now this seems to confound the issue, uh, I'm thinking. So what do you see in terms of like inflationary pressures on the electric vehicle production end of this for corporations? Absolutely. And intuitively, one would think, right, that as input costs go up, this would create inflationary pressures. That was This would create uh, pressures on the price of electric vehicles as well. But uh, just putting that in a, a bit of context, where is nickel actually used in electric vehicles? For your listeners, it would be useful. 
Now, the industry uses nickel in battery manufacturing for electric vehicles. Typically, in lithium-ion batteries, nickel is used. Now, lithium-ion batteries can have varying chemistries, but the preference in the industry is to use more nickel-dominant chemistries. Not only that, the preference is to use higher loadings of nickel in these chemistries as well. What that does is it gives these batteries more energy efficiency. So if you think about the, the worst nightmare for an EV driver would be to get caught on the highway and run out of charge uh, and not know what to do from there. Right? Yeah, that would really be a nightmare, I think, unless they have a portable generator. I don't know what they would do. I guess they need a very long extension cord uh, to uh, attach to the next charging station. What do they do? <laughs> it, it is one of the things that holds a lot of people back from moving towards an electric vehicle right now. And of course, uh, there, there need to be more solutions to, to tackle with that eventuality or drivers knowing better how to manage their, their energy. But ultimately, uh, what, what's happening on the battery manufacturing front is batteries are getting better. So they are starting to deliver higher range and higher quantities of nickel are enabling batteries to become more efficient. So hopefully fewer stranded drivers <laughs> on highways uh, going forward yeah. as we employ more nickel. But coming back to your question about cost, even though we see the cost of these resources rising, nickel, copper, aluminium, and many others, we think that economies of scale in the battery manufacturing process is ultimately going to more than offset the increase in the input cost of these various things. And this bodes very well for uh, the economics of the electric vehicle industry. And we think that that will ultimately be uh, what will really uh, support the proliferation of electric vehicles on the roads. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose that another concern for buyers or potential buyers of electric vehicles is the price tag currently, as far as I understand. So, According to Kelly Blue Book, and so this is a survey done by Kelly Blue Book, 2021, consumers paid on average close to $60,000 for a new electric vehicle. And this was a premium of about 20% over gas-powered vehicles. Uh, and they noted that among new car shoppers, 38% were willing to consider an EV, but that number uh, dropped to 21% when they were asked if they were uh, more than half confident uh, if their next vehicle would be an EV. Only 3%, according to Kelly Blue Book, said that they were certain that they would buy one. So the question here is, at what price point say that there are inflationary pressures going forward? And, and, and I'm just challenging to say that perhaps it goes above the $60,000 average. Uh, at what price point would demand for these EVs, do you think, start to fall off in terms of the near-term projections for how many EVs would be bought? Um, or, or is there research that suggests that consumers really are willing to pay for an electric vehicle to combat climate change, to reduce carbon emissions, really at any cost? Sure. It's a fascinating study. And I would hope that if they redo the study in a couple of years, uh, some of those statistics will, will improve in favor of electric vehicle adoption. And the reason is this. We partner with uh, Wood McKenzie, who are an expert in uh, the energy transition space, and they've come up with this uh, forecast that battery costs are declining and they are expected to halve within the next five to seven years. 
Now, just putting this in context, already in the preceding five years, they've halved already. So we're just continuing on that path. As I was mentioning, economies of scale, new technology takes off, uh, and that has uh, cost reduction. Yeah. Ultimately, the industry is expected to reach a very important cost threshold, which is 100 US dollars to produce one kilowatt hour of energy. And this threshold is considered by uh, participants in the industry as a threshold which will make electric vehicle batteries economically viable, not just viable on for their own sake, but viable in terms of all the applications that use or that mm -hmm. use those batteries as well. And electric vehicles are certainly one of the key applications. So what we would expect that when that happens in the next uh, two to three years, when we hit that threshold, uh, the $100 per kilowatt hour that's expected to happen somewhere in the next two to three years. Once that threshold is hit, we would expect that the lifetime costs of electric vehicles compared to internal combustion engine vehicles will probably come to a parity. So even at that point, people will probably still be paying more upfront for an electric vehicle, as is the case compared to a, a similar petrol or diesel car. But you would have enough savings over the lifetime of maintenance because you you save from fuel uh, costs uh, and hopefully your electricity is is cheaper and that saving will mean that the lifetime costs come to a parity between electric vehicles and internal combustion engine vehicles in in the next 2 to 3 years now what will facilitate uh, adoption from consumers is one definitely the cost element two uh, hopefully more charging infrastructure. So as you said, the, we, do, we want to avoid the nightmare scenario of people getting stranded on highways. Yeah. So better charging infrastructure and hopefully more uh, models coming out into the market, uh, cheaper variants, uh, more affordable variants, variants in all sorts of price ranges as well. Well, this is so this is really the question. And and we've seen this picture of projections um, before the conflict and before uh, export constraints. So the question really is, with uncertainties over supply and uncertainties really over demand, do the milestones that were set out prior to this conflict change? Is this two to three years still viable, or are we looking at a longer term or more uncertain future for how this trajectory will go for electric vehicle production and demand? Yeah, it's it's an it's a fascinating area to consider. The timelines are changing, uh, certainly. But w one thing to observe is that the timelines appear to only be moving in one direction. Certainly, as far as policy is concerned, so it is unlikely that we are going to see our climate change goals getting pushed back after all the talk with, with the U United Nations uh, climate change conference that was held late last year, and all the commitments from leaders around the world to really accelerate the energy transition, it seems that those goals are only going to get brought forward. And most recently, even with the Russia-Ukraine crisis, we've seen that this is perhaps even catalyzing the commitment towards climate change. Germany most recently has come out and said that it's pushing ahead and turbocharging its transition towards 100% renewables by 2035. That is 15 years ahead of what was previously envis en envisioned. And 
Yes, it's partly because Europe wants to reduce its reliance on Russia's fossil fuel, but ultimately it's about reducing reliance on fossil fuels altogether. And what policy does is it paves the way for industries to thrive. So battery manufacturing, uh, mining of these various minerals, uh, production of electric vehicles, all of these industries that sit within the value chain of the various things that you and I ultimately consume, whether it's vehicles, whether it's mobile phones, which have nickel-based uh, uh, batteries as well, all of these industries are supported and they enter an environment where policy is paving the way for them to grow. So hopefully uh, we think that that is, is expected to continue. Geopolitics can be a disruptor. They've added a new risk factor for investors to consider. Uh, and uh, naturally, if disruptions continue for a prolonged period, this could be uh, this could move from being a risk factor to something that investors have to consider as a base case scenario. But uh, we hopefully aren't there yet. Yeah, but let's let's change tack here just a bit, because I think another thing that's confounding at least the cost for nickel is trading activity. And we've seen this pretty recently with the chair of a Chinese steel producing giant called Qingsan Holding. Uh, nickel futures spiked around 250% over two days. And this prompted the London Exchange to halt trading, set limits, and I think even some banks stepped in to inject liquidity to try and stave off a potential default of the company. It faced something like an, an $8 billion loss. They were going short on nickel. So the chair, Xiang Guangda, committed to the short, even after the short squeeze, even after it's pushed prices through the roof, really. Uh, he didn't change his position. So what do you think was behind this particular traders, this chair, his decision to short nickel futures? You know, how would nickel prices go lower in this, this scenario? Sure. So the background to Tsing uh, Shan's uh, trade is, is as follows. So Tsingshan is one of the largest Chinese nickel and stainless steel uh, producer, a uh, very important player worldwide in nickel production and stainless steel production. Yeah. Now, in, in recent times, the company has actually been exploring ways of producing higher grade nickel, the sort of nickel that is used in electric vehicle batteries from lower grades of nickel. So not just uh, accepting that you are constrained by how much higher grade you can bring out from the ground, but actually converting lower grades into higher grades through various industrial processes. So this is uh, a, a technique that the company has been pioneering in recent times. But there are question marks on how much success you can have with that sort of process. So markets have been hesitant in pricing in the impact that the company can have on, on the nickel market from this process. But ultimately, uh, the short position that they've held is essentially a bet from the company on their own success of bringing more quantities of nickel to the market from this process. Because if you think about it, if that's their business model, they're converting lower grade nickel into high grade nickel, they are increasing the supply, or at least that's what they are aiming to do. And higher supply means prices go down, and that's what they were betting on. Uh, so ultimately, it's it's more of a commercial position uh, that they took, uh, which is linked to their business. And uh, of course, the geopolitical tensions with Russia and Ukraine, Russia being the third largest supplier of nickel, 
it created this unprecedented situation in nickel markets where prices were really rallying and therefore their short position became a bit uh, a bit tricky yeah. and and hence the volatility in nickel markets so uh, a bit a bit uh, unprecedented but of course within the context of what the company was trying to do it it perhaps makes a bit more sense but you would still expect that uh, there may be still some volatility ahead for uh, for uh, metals that are linked to what's happening with the Russia Ukraine situation. Yeah, and and with the LME, I think operations itself. I think it recently had a, another glitch even after this short squeeze took place, uh, and that was unfortunate uh, because they halted trading for some time, and then when they reopened, they had glitches and they had to uh, halt again. Uh, it was it it was it was it just seemed to be a lot of volatility simply in the trading space which seems to confound again the economic picture or the bigger picture of supply and demand uh, in light of the uh, sanctions against Russia and its concentration of nickel. It, it would be fascinating to see how this plays out over time. Uh, and I would love to see how uh, the auto sector and other companies and sectors, I'm sure, that use nickel, uh, I, I know in steel and other alloys, but there must be other companies, other sectors out there that uh, you are aware of that uh, would also maybe experience some challenges because of this. Absolutely. So you've you mentioned stainless steel. Uh, in fact, uh, three quarters of uh, nickel is currently used in stainless steel. Uh, so stainless steel still is the most dominant source of nickel demand. Yes, increasingly in the future, uh, batteries will probably take up more of a share from stainless steel. But if we think about the statistic I mentioned at the start, where total nickel usage worldwide has doubled pretty much in the last 10 years, yeah. this is in the absence of electric vehicles. Uh, so even, even just stainless steel demand is expected to grow. And naturally, uh, stainless steel has all sorts of applications ranging from kitchen utensils to medical equipment, building, transportation. It pretty much touches our lives in so many different ways. So ultimately, if uh, there is disruption in supply there, it, it affects many, many different sectors. Yeah, it's amazing how much uh, commodities can impact our daily lives and the prices and inflation in general. And it, it's, it truly is interesting. Uh, Mobin, thank you again. I mean, this is a really, really fascinating discussion, again, about nickel. And I hope that we'll have another one uh, about another commodity, maybe another metal uh, at some point soon. So, you know, thanks again for taking the time to do this. Stephen, my pleasure as always. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat with you again. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, you can also learn more about the energy transition and commodities in Wisdom Tree Europe's webinar presentations. They have several of them at ibkrwebinars.com. You can also keep abreast of their market commentary at IBKR Traders Insight at tradersinsight.news. Again, Mobin, terrific. Hope you'll be back with us again. I hope so, too. Until next time, I'm Stephen Levine for Interactive Brokers. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com.
We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at ibkr.com. Trading on margin is only for sophisticated investors with high risk tolerance. You may lose more than your initial investment. For additional information regarding margin loan rates, see ibkr.com forward slash interest. Interactive Brokers is not affiliated with and does not endorse or recommend any third-party investment information, advice, services, or products discussed in this episode. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice.